This is NBA Sound System Live, featured on NBA.com sites around the world and archived on the NBA Sound System podcast feed, where you get your podcasts by searching NBA Sound System. Thank you for joining us. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, each with the handle at NBA Sound System, or visit us at NBASoundSystem.com for more. Now, NBA Sound System Live. It is indeed NBA Sound System across the NBA Global Networks. It's Carlin Gabe. It's Scott Rafferty. It is a couple days after the trade deadline, almost a week after the trade deadline, and I still feel the shockwaves from the mega trade, Scott, that went down um, you know, just hours before that 3 p.m. Eastern trade deadline, which we'll get into in a second. But first of all, Scott, how are you doing, sir? <laughs> I'm doing well, Colin. Um, I-, I feel like the NBA was kind of already trending towards a, a crazy and unpredictable finish this season. Uh, and this trade de- deadline, as we'll discuss, I think only added to that and, and created more chaos. So I, I think, you know, from analyzing that perspective, um, it's a lot of fun as a fan who loves to watch these games. Um, it, it's only going to create more excitement. So I, I, I'm doing well. How about you? I can't complain. I love when the NBA turns itself on its head and it feels like it happens almost every year. We, we really do get spoiled by the fact that uh, it feels like a major trade goes down at least once a year where superstars, not just stars, superstars are switching uh, jerseys and addresses, and we had that at the trade deadline. We'll talk about that trade in a second, but we'll also talk about All-Star Weekend coming up in Cleveland. Uh, I will be there. Um, it should be a ton of fun. The 75th anniversary of the NBA season uh, will we'll, we'll go down with the top 75 players. That should be a ton of fun for a guy you know, Scott, that I'm a huge fan, a huge NBA history buff. Uh, we'll talk about the MVP race. You are currently writing an MVP ladder. I know you're uh, you're really banging your head against the wall to figure this out because there's a lot of worthy <laughs> candidates. But first, we do have to talk about the trade. Uh, it went down, like I said, hours before the trade deadline, 3 p.m. At this point, everyone knows that Ben Simmons is now a Brooklyn Net. James Harden is now a Philadelphia 76er. Today, uh, as we as we talked to you on Tuesday here, Today, they had their introductory press conferences a half an hour before uh, Ben Simmons went, uh, or half an hour before James Harden's press conference, J- uh, Ben Simmons had his. So not much time in between. Plenty was said. Um, you watched the Simmons one a little more closely than the Harden one. What what was your takeaway from what Simmons said uh, to the Brooklyn media? I mean, th- first and foremost, it it's still unclear when he's going to be back for them. Um, He said there's no timeline for him specifically, but he's kind of working his way back. Um, I I mean, I I think it's safe to assume he's he's probably going to be back sooner rather than later, right? Um, Especially with the state that the Nets are in right now. But that, I mean, that was the big takeaway from it. But other than that, I mean, he didn't talk, go too in-depth about kind of how things played out in Philly, what led to this trade. But I I think the, the most interesting thing uh, was when he was talking about his role on this team and kind of how he envisions it. And specifically, there, w- there was a story from Bleacher Report's Jake Fisher today on kind of the Harden dynamic in Brooklyn and, 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 and all the fallout from that. And something that he wrote was that apparently Durant and Steve Nash wanted the Nets to play a free-flowing offense um, that Mike D'Antoni helped them install last season, but Harden preferred his you know patented one-on-one ISO ball. Right. And I think... We'll have to see. There's so many questions about how Simmons fits in his, in this team because um, I, I he is he does have some glaring flaws in his game, um, sure. but he's still one of the league's best rising stars. And I do think that if they do want to kind of play that free flowing way, 
Ben Simmons is a guy who is going to push the pace in transition. He's going to get up and down the court. Um, he can kind of play multiple positions on offense. We know he can play that primary ball handler role. He's a great passer. I think his his ability to play more power forward, I feel like that's that's something in his game that he hasn't quite unlocked yet. And I think in Brooklyn, play next to two superstar scorers in Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, like that, that could unleash that part of his game out and everything like that. So again... There's a lot that needs to be figured out in Brooklyn. Durant is still not back from his injury. Kyrie Irving, I think, can only play eight more games this season as things currently stand um, because of his part-time status. And, you know, we're talking about a team that, I mean, they're in they're in the playing mix right now, um, which is a little concerning. But I, I do think, like, at full strength, if Simmons can kind of be the player that he was beforehand, the last player that we saw, I, I do really like the fit um, on this team. And I think it, it could be pretty seamless, I feel like. Before we get to the James Harden portion uh, of this trade and and our trade grades for for the trade itself, you said something interesting and and, and it's something that I've heard multiple people say. Uh, and and I don't want to put you on the spot here, but I, I kind of want a, a, a little bit more of an explanation on what it actually means that Ben Simmons will get more opportunities at the power forward position. Because if you're an average fan or a casual fan or even a hardcore fan, you've heard for the last five, six years that basketball is positionless at this time. And it doesn't matter where, where guys play, you know, one through five or point guard to center. So what does it mean really when you say, oh, Ben's going to have more chances to play the four spot or at the power forward? Yeah, I, I think specifically it's about putting him in pick and rolls, using him as a screener, a guy who's cutting and rolling hard to the basket because Joel Embiid has developed into a really good shooter. Like, he's one of the best mid-range shooters in the league. He's a good three-point shooter, not, like, super high volume, but he can stretch the floor out to the three. But he's still a guy who likes to score in the paint and beat guys up in the paint, right? And I think some of them in Philly, they were, like, kind of fighting over that real estate. And obviously, Joel Embiid is going to get the ball because he's the better player. But I think in Brooklyn... He's going to be, I think Simmons could be playing in more space. Like you look at Kyrie Irving's a fantastic shooter and he's a perimeter guy. Kevin Durant is one of the greatest shooters of all time. He's also a perimeter guy. Seth Curry is an, a lights out three point shooter. And even someone like LaMarcus Aldridge, you know what I mean? Like he is a mid range shooter. Like he's going to be camping out in the corners and things like that um, and, and kind of picking and popping to the elbows when he's on the court. So I, I just think there's, there might be a little bit more space for Ben Simmons to kind of do those things and play more of a big man role. Um, I, I mean, I, I also think it's fun to think of him like it, you know, the, the Nets do want to play this free flowing offense like they're, they're going to use him, I feel like in so many different ways, like he's going to have the ball in his hands one possession, the next possession, he's going to set a screen roll to the basket. Um, he's obviously going to spend some time in the dunker spot as well. But I, I, I just feel like we haven't seen kind of. Uh, ben Simmons unleashed as like a, a small ball four or even a five in some in some lineups. Defensively, I have some concerns about that because as as good as Ben Simmons is defensively, and we're talking about one of the best defenders in the league, he's not like a a, a big he's not a rim protector. Right. And I think you know they'll probably be leaning more on Kevin Durant to kind of fill that role if, when they do play small. But I, I just like the idea, like the amount of attention that Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving draw. If he's setting a screen on them to jump out of the ball and suddenly he's attacking downhill with either space or, or the ability to make decisions on the short roll, like I, I just feel like we haven't seen enough of that of his game yet. Yeah, we got a taste of it uh, in the first season that the, the, the Sixers really sort of figured it out. 
Uh, Joel Embiid unfortunately went down with an injury. The Sixers reeled off, I think it was 16 or 17 straight wins that got them into the postseason. They had that epic series uh, against the Miami Heat in the first round where they beat the Heat and moved on to the second round. Uh, and then they ran into a to a, a better, I guess, a more veteran team uh, in that second round. And Embiid had came back, but um, you know the impetus for that that run was the fact that Simmons kind of came into his own with shooters around him. Then he was able to play that four or five spot that you mentioned and did have more space. So we we would we might see that similar version of Ben Simmons, you know, in in Brooklyn. On on the Philly side. Uh, I paid a little bit more attention to the Harden press conference um, watching before we came on here to discuss. And, you know, what stuck out to me the most uh, were two things. One, um, Harden saying that, you know, he always wanted to end up in Philadelphia or thought he should end up in Philadelphia. Um, you know, after the Houston situation, he did think that he was going to end up in Philly and probably that would have been a better fit for him. He did say that, um, you know, obviously, you know, if, if Kyrie and KD had been able to play a lot more games than 16 with Harden maybe winning would have you know cured a lot of those issues that they did have but I think it really was a fit thing uh if I'm reading between some of the lines that Harden did say and the other thing was Maury Daryl Maury um you know mentioning that he he really believed that it should have been a, t- a three-team trade all along you know from the beginning and it probably would have benefited all three teams uh is what Maury said so those two things really stuck out to me in in the Harden press conference. I think at the end of the day, I, I think on paper right now, both players are in situations where they could thrive, and we can really find out what they are. I, I don't think Harden's played with a better teammate than Joel Embiid that fits his style of playing. Kevin Durant's obviously a better player. Um, you know, you, you can make arguments for whether or not Pete Chris Paul. Uh, or, or Kyrie Irving are in the level of Joel Embiid. But Joel Embiid right now, as a big man, he's far better um, than than what Dwight Howard was uh, when Harden really started getting to the to the, to the next level, becoming the superstar that he is now. And Because Dwight Howard's not the offensive threat that he is, and he probably was a little bit less than, the, you know, than what he was in Orlando in terms of defense. Joel Embiid's bringing both of those things to the table. And... Tobias Harris is a part of this as well, where he's a guy that I think gets lost in all of this, and, and he, he got lost in the first you know round of things where uh, you know it was a lot of Simmons and Embiid, and, and Harris was kind of off to the side. I actually think that you know James Harden will be able to kind of elevate Tobias Harris's game a little bit more as well, because there's there's games and there's stretches in games where James Harden likes to be a point guard. He, he enjoys you know handing out assists. And, you know, if Embiid is not on the floor and Tobias Harris is that guy, that, that finisher, which, he, you know, he can be, he could be that 20-point-per-game scorer in the playoffs that they've needed the last two years and haven't been able to get consistently out of Tobias Harris. So I do think that James Harden could elevate him there. Uh, and then on, I agree with you, on the on the net side, this is a rare trade where I think it works out for both teams. I do think that Simmons will fit well uh, in Brooklyn given the, you know, pieces around him. So, um we do have to pick a winner, though, because this is sports, right? There has to be a winner and a loser. You know, we Both teams can't win. There's no ties here. Uh, so ultimately, Scott, who do you think won this trade? I will say before we get into that, by the way, I think that's a really good point on Tobias Harris because someone when you were explaining that, like the p- first person that came to mind for me was Ryan Anderson, and he had great chemistry with James Harden in Houston. And they're slightly different players. Like Ryan Anderson was, <laughs> I mean, he'd shoot like several feet behind the three-point line. He was a high-volume three-point shooter. Um, but I, I do think like there's some pick and pop, 
um, dynamics there that could translate well to Tobias Harris, who is also a good three-point shooter. So I, I do like, I think that's a really good point on your behalf. Um, so which team won this trade? I, I Like you, I do think this is one of those that like both sides, I think it's a win-win. I think it works out for both sides. Right now, like immediate reaction, because all these things, you have to kind of see how they play out before you can actually ultimately give it a grade. I, I feel like I'd probably give the 76s um, the better grade only because it helps them more. I, there's just too much up in the air for Brooklyn. Like I really like the fit of Ben Simmons. He's under contract for a while. He's one of the best young players in the league. Um, I, I think he's going to help them a ton defensively. But if we're talking about like this season, Joel Embiid and James Harden, I do have some questions about their fit together. Like, you know, Harden is still going to play a lot of ISO ball and Joel Embiid is one of the best and most dominant post scorers in the league. Like, what are they going to do at the end of games? Is Joel going to want to post up? Is, is James Harden going to want to ISO? Um, Embiid's never been like a big pick and roll guy. Like, how, how's that going to factor out? But I do think ultimately we're talking about this season. This Sixers team is already within punching um, distance of like the number one seed, adding James Harden, um, hopefully rejuvenated. I mean, this team could is going to join that mix with like the, the Heat, the Bucks, the Bulls, and things like that. So I, I might give the, the slight edge to the Sixers. I'm with you. I, I think in th- for this season, the Sixers has have won the trade. For the future, I think the Nets have won. Even though they gave up a, you know, a million draft picks just to get James Harden in the first place um, to end up with Ben Simmons, I, I, they got some of those picks back you know, through Philly. And um, you know, going forward, once things settle down, I think you get a healthier Kevin Durant going forward. I, I think you get a Kyrie Irving uh, situation that you know kind of becomes more clear. And I think you get a Ben Simmons that also has time to sit and learn from one of the best you know, up and down, up tempo point guards to ever play the game is Steve Nash, mm-hmm. and you know, really sit under his tree and kind of learn uh, how to be that guy uh, that really wants to you know push the pedal. And I think Ben Simmons is in a perfect offensive situation for him. Um, you know, in the regular season, I do have questions about how they'll hide things in reg- in the postseason because the postseason, you know, in the regular season, they'll be able to score. They'll be able to get up and down the floor and do all the things that uh, I think Nash and, you know, what he's known for and, and, and got him to the Hall of Fame those years under Mike, Mike D'Antoni and the offense and the free flowing and, and, you know, really pushing the tempo. But once you get to the postseason, things slow down because you're you're going up against better defenses, you know, every possession matters and I think that's where, you know, Nash will have to use his genius and how to get Ben Simmons to still be effective because he can't become a passenger. You're not, you know, I I understand that KD and Kyrie are going to be there to hide some of his warts, but he can't be a complete passenger. You can't allow uh teams to play you 4 and 5. You, you just can't do that. So, um, you know, I I do think that it's going to take time for the, the Nets to figure that out. And maybe, you know, Simmons has to be humbled and in and, and certain situations sit and they go offense for defense. Maybe that's the case. They are a deeper team, uh, Brooklyn, now with uh, with with the, with the trade. I think, you know, people sleep on the Seth Curry edition. I think people sleep on what Andre Drummond could bring to the table. He's had some 20 rebound games. Then the Nets have struggled to, to, to rebound the basketball this season at points in the season i think it bumps uh brooke i'm not sorry brooke lopez 
Blake Griffin down a notch as well, where he was playing a ton of minutes last year in the postseason. I don't think you were going to get that effort from him this year. Uh, you know, so I, I think you know moving Brook Lopez or sorry, I keep saying Brook Lopez, <laughs> Blake Griffin. Uh, you know, from like that fifth six man role down to an eighth man role, where he can give you maybe fifteen minutes of that effort, um, and, and maybe in a big spot he gives you one game of that effort. I can't see him sustaining that defensive effort and intensity and just that scrappiness that he showed us last year in the postseason for another, you know, a full run. So, you know, Drummond could take some of that over, um, you know, and, and as they get healthy, Joe Harris still hasn't played a ton of basketball this season. They yeah. still have Patty Mills who can, you know, finish and, and he's a pesky defender uh, as well. So they can be good. Uh, the Nets can be good, but it's going to take them time to figure it out. I think this year um, the Sixers have a lot less uh a lot less to figure out because, as you said, James Harden's mm-hmm. going to come in. We know what he is. We know, you know, the team that he's coming into, and I think the the gaping hole for him to fill in Philly is that closing score. You know, as great as Joel Embiid has been, and he's a he's a good closer in the regular season. It is tough for big men to be a closer. You know, in the last two minutes of the game, when you know it, it's a you need a bucket. It's tough to you know have a post up player be that guy. We've seen very few of those type of players lead a team to a championship in NBA history. They have to be super super dumb. They have to be Shaq. They have to be Akeem Olajuwon um, in the modern NBA. Of course, you're t- if you're going back further to to Wilt and Bill Russell and Kareem Abdul Jabbar, like things change back in that era. But in this era, it is very hard. Uh, you know, to win with a post player. Uh, you're talking about, you know, Tim Duncan. Um, so it, all those players had one thing in common. You know, Shaq had Kobe. Uh, Kareem had, had, uh, had, had, well, we won't go as far back as Kareem, but he had magic. Um, when you look at Hakeem Olajuwon, he had a, a, a brilliant team around him. And you look at Tim Duncan. He had t- two great guards constantly around him and Tony Parker and Manu Ginobili that helped him close games. And I think James Harden can do that in Philadelphia. I think he can be, he can kind of coast, which I think he, there's times where at this point in his career, he doesn't want to be, you know, the 12, the 36 minute a game guy anymore where he's trying to put up 36 points a night. I think he likes coasting uh, at points in the game and he could get away with that because Embiid could carry the load. Harris can carry the load. You, you might even have Tyrese Maxey go off in, in, in some, you know, spots and games. And then when the game's on the line, you know, it, it's, it's Harden time. And I think, uh, you know, there is a jury out there that says he doesn't like to show up in those moments. He kind of shies away from that. But if the load for 48 minutes isn't as heavy on him and he only has to worry about the last six minutes of a game where he really has to take over and he doesn't also have to score, he can find shots for other people doing that. Then I think he, he really fits it well. This 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 trade reminds me of, um, you know, Oscar Robinson and, and Kareem, a young uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar teaming up way back when in in Milwaukee where you know Oscar Robinson was the guy he he, he was you know obviously he averaged a triple double for a season he did all he did all the great things but he didn't have a championship ring and he needed the big man to finish the job or help him finish the job and he got that uh in Kareem Abdul-Jabbar I think you know Harden is perfect situation here Philly is a team that doesn't want to be up tempo because their best player is not an up tempo player Joel Embiid he's a half court guy so you have two of the I would say Eight best half court players on one team, and in the postseason, you know, I'll, I'll put my money on them to you know more times than not. So that's I do think Philly won this trade right now, but I think down the road we'll we'll see the Nets uh, prevail in the end. I think another good example of kind of that big man dynamic that you're talking about is even like Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray in Denver, right? Like you think of that postseason run they went on a couple years ago. 
um, beating Utah. Like Jamal Murray had some huge games in that series and just took over down the stretch. And it's like that because to your point, it's it's very hard for a big man, even even ones as talented as Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic, to dominate down the stretch of like every playoff game. And having another self creator on the perimeter can just open up so much for them. Um, that I'm with you. I think James Harden could help Joel Embiid out a ton in that regard. I, I mean, I do have concerns. I, I, Joel Embiid, I think some of his shortcomings in the playoffs might have been overblown a little bit. Like even that Raptors series a couple seasons ago when he didn't have like the biggest series statistically, the mm-hmm. on-off numbers screamed that like the Sixers are going to win this series if he's on the court and then without him, they can't do anything. Like he, he does impact the game even if he's not putting up huge numbers. But we know like like James Harden has had a pretty shaky postseason history i feel like um especially in like big moments so that that's something that can't i mean quite frankly can't happen in this situation right like that they made this trade to win sooner rather than later to make the most of Joel Embiid being arguably the the leading candidate for mvp right now um all eyes are going to be on the playoffs and what they can do there so i i i mean at on a very simple level like we're talking about two of the best as you said half court players scorers in the league i think they have the potential to be one of the most dynamic one two punches if they can kind of figure it out but um i mean the, the winning the title of the season is not going to be easy i mean even making no. it out of the east is not going to be easy like it, it's it's, it's super competitive already and i think this trade is only going to make it more competitive in the east yeah two things so i think the harden the harden playoff failures this is the first time where he's not the guy you know, like he, he's not he, he would have had that opportunity to hide behind Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving last year in the postseason. We know what happened. Injuries happened. Unfortunately, we weren't able to see them, you know, come through it. But if the Sixers fail, I don't think people will completely blame James Harden because, you know, Joel Embiid is a guy at the end of the day. You know, Joel Embiid, if Joel Embiid is playing at the top, you know, top of his game and Harden fails, that's a different story. But if Embiid's not bringing it, and even if Harden doesn't bring it, you know, if they both kind of falter in the playoffs, Joel Embiid's going to get the most blame because he's having an MVP type season. He's an MVP type player. He's in the prime of his career. This is his window. You know, unfortunately, we've seen it happen with James Harden. We know, you know, it's not it's not going to be news to us if James Harden doesn't show up in a big spot uh, in the postseason. It would suck. Philly fans locally would kill him, but I, I think the the perception would be that Joel Embiid didn't show up. Um, in, in the big moment. And I, and I mentioned uh, the, the second thing is I said Oscar Robinson and, uh, you know, well, Lou Olsender at the time, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, I think I went too far back. It's, this is probably more like the Houston Rockets uh, 95 championship where uh, Clyde Drexler comes in and helps them get over the top, uh, adding that 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 guard uh, at the end of games to help out Hakeem Olajuwon so they go back to back. Uh, with Jordan out of the league. All right, so there was there's a ton more trades, Scott, in, 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 than just this one. Obviously, this one gets all the presses uh, and all the headlines, but um, there were a, a ton more other trades. A shocking one, uh, Dallas giving up on, on the Porzingis-Luka marriage, and now, I, like, it still boggles my mind that we're going to see Porzingis play, play in Washington. <laughs> like, that that is insane to me. Um, you know, the fact that the Lakers and Knicks did not make a single move, before the trade deadline, CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard no longer an item. McCollum is off to the Pelicans. Who knows what's happening in Portland? A lot happened. Uh, you know, the three days, including uh, leading up to the trade deadline. Like, what, what? In your opinion, what was the one trade outside of the Simmons Harden trade that really grabbed your attention? I'm so glad you didn't you didn't say the one that I'm picking. Um, I, I loved what the Clippers did, getting Nolan Powell 
and Robert Covington from the Portland wow. Trailblazers yeah. for, for Eric Bledsoe, Justice Winslow, Keon Johnson, and a future second round pick. I, that happened like a, a couple days before the trade deadline. And it got a lot of attention when it happened, but I think so many things went down on the day that like it's easy to forget that that trade happened. Mm-hmm. And another part of this, it's I, I think it's a play for next season, right? Because the Clippers have been able to stay competitive despite Kawhi Leonard and Paul George um, being out of the lineup. Which, by the way, Ty Lue, I feel like coach of the year discussions isn't the sexiest end of year uh, prediction or things to discuss throughout the year. But Ty Lue's got to be in that conversation, right? I, I think he's arguably the best coach in the league right now. What he's been able to do this team is nothing short of spectacular. Um, that's a conversation for another day. But I, I think adding Norman Powell, who is um, an, quietly, I feel like, an elite three-point shooter, a guy who can put a ton of pressure on teams attacking downhill, and a guy who also has played next two stars in the past. Like We, we saw him um, play a key role in that Raptors championship. He's played with Kawhi Leonard in the past. Even in Portland, like the, the brief time that he was there, I think he fit pretty nicely next to Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. So I, I think there's, there's room to believe that he's going to play well next to uh, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard if they return to full strength next season. And then Robert Covington... I think when he's your primary defender, like he, he's not a guy you really put on the opposing team's best offensive player, right? Like right. He, he thrives as a help defender. And to think of him kind of just roaming the baseline, switching when needed, just kind of wreaking havoc next to, to Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, who are two of the best perimeter defenders in the league. Um, I, I just, I love, I, I, I love what this team has been able to do. Um, I, again, it's, it's more of a future play here, but I, I just think that was a genius uh, move by the, the front office there. I absolutely agree. I, I think, well, first of all, on the on the Ty Lu situation, like it, it is to me, you know, tragic that we're not paying more attention to what he's doing as a, you know as a head coach for for this Clippers team that really should not be anywhere near the postseason. And for a guy that you know got a, he, he has a championship ring, by the way, and a guy that caught a lot of flack when he did win the championship with the uh, or helped Cleveland win the championship because LeBron was on the team and everyone was saying, oh, well, this is a dude that, uh, you know, it, it was LeBron's championship, LeBron's the coach and all this other stuff. If we let, let's not forget that three one comeback is you know well mm-hmm. in the, the, the you know historically in the finals Ty Lu was at the helm with that and his adjustments shouldn't go unnoticed and now for him to be able to do this with this Clippers team and I I truly believe that the Clippers might have made the finals last year and might have even won it all the way that Ka- uh, Kawhi Leonard was playing um, before he got hurt but the fact that this Clippers team is even you know in eighth seed right now in the Western Conference. They are two games clear of the Los Angeles Lakers. Like it's it's the perfect. It's wild. It is the perfect uh, you know way to to kind of compliment Tyre Lue for because he was always in LeBron's shadow in Cleveland in that championship run, and now they're in the same city, and he has a far you know a team that you know LeBron has a far superior team on paper, and you know Ty Lue's figuring out ways to just keep this team afloat. And giving hope that to Clippers fans that you know what maybe Kawhi Leonard will be interested in making a you know return for the postseason. Like, what if the Clippers finish the season in six, and Kawhi says to himself, "Well, I could go." You know, now we're now, that's probably the toughest six seed in 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 the history of the NBA, next to what, what the Rockets who won from the six seed uh, in '95. Like that, if Kawhi Leonard comes back and is Kawhi Leonard. They and they, they have Powell and and you know now Norman Powell is injured, but they have Covington and, and how deep they are this year. That's tough. And even going forward, it is going to be a really really good team. I think uh, the Clippers finally put it all together uh, there. The, the one trade that uh, I, I think made the most sense uh, to me, I like what the Pelicans did. 
I, I really do, Scott. I think that's, that's controversial. I feel like, yeah, I, th- I think when you add CJ McCollum, and it, again, when you're a small market team, you have to do things that other big market teams can't do. CJ McCollum was a free agent. He's not even picking up the phone from any area code that is near New Orleans. Like the, the, he wouldn't even, you know, attempt to to, to take a meeting with them. And th- this is a team that has one of the, the brightest stars in the NBA, and we're still waiting for him uh, to get back on the court. And Zion Williamson and a, a former All Star in Brandon Ingram, right? Like it, it, this is this is a situation where you would think. If this situation was in LA, like you'd hear rumors of every player that is even under contract for the next five years that would want to play there with these two young stars. But you know the Pelicans, small market, and everything else that goes along with it. And now you have CJ McCollum, who now he's there, and now he could he could learn to appreciate not only the city but the fans and the culture and everything else the same way he did in Portland. And now you have an opportunity for you know him to kind of spread that word around and maybe get a couple more vets. Not they don't need stars; they have three of them, right? Like when they're healthy, they have three great players that can get you there. Now, you, but now you can attract you know that that free agent that's looking to you know make a you know make a, a run and, and contribute, like um, you know in, in, in bio markets and all those other things when when those do come up. So I, I think this is a situation where the Pelicans. Uh, you know, obviously swung for the fences here. They, you know, CJ McCollum probably wouldn't come their way uh, via free agency, and they had to go get him. And also, you say to clearly to Zion and Brandon Ingram, um, you know, that we're trying here. You know, we're trying, Jennifer. Like we're we're trying to get all of our <laughs> we're trying to get players here to New Orleans. We're not just going to sit around and and say boo hoo. Uh, you know, we're a small market team. We'll, we'll hope for the best. No, no, we're 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 going to make some deals and you know take some calculated risks and hope that it pans out. I, I'm I'm with you in that. I, I feel like a lot of people didn't like this trade when it went down, and I find myself pretty immediately being like, I, I think this is a good deal for the Pelicans for a lot of the reasons that you just mentioned. I mean, just at a very simple level, we're talking about one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the league. CJ mm-hmm. is a, a proven shooter, a guy who shot a ton of mid-range shots early, early in his career. He's still an excellent mid-range shooter. But you look at his stats, like the amount that he's improved as a three-point shooter his, his percentage basically hasn't changed, but he's quadrupled his volume since the start of his career. Mm-hmm. Um, like he's an excellent shooter. And, and just adding that to Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, we haven't obviously seen Zion play this season, um, but a guy who dominates the paint like he does, just that um, I think is a huge win for them. And then on top of that, you're talking about a guy who is an excellent scorer. Like yet yeah, CJ's never made an all-star team. I think there's been a couple of years where he was sort of like in that discussion, but he's, he's a hell of a scorer and he's going to help take some of that offensive load off of Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson. I think he's going to fit in pretty nicely next to them. I, I do worry about them defensively because the, the Pelicans were the, sure. the 20th in defensive efficiency right now. A trio of Zion Williamson, Brandon Ingram, and CJ McCollum probably aren't stopping anyone, really, Like sure. if we're being honest. And you're going to have to surround them with the kind of players who can do that, um, take that load off of them on that end of the court. But I think offensively, I mean, when these guys are all healthy, and all, all this hinges on Zion, right? Because... Um, I, I mean, they're, they're in the playing mix right now without him. Um, I think they should stay in there. But for this team to kind of do anything over the next couple seasons, it's going to depend on Zion Williamson coming back, being the player that we saw last year, improving on that. Um, but if he does, I think CJ is a guy who compliments him and uh, Brandon really well. Um, and Yeah, I'm with you. I, I did like that trade. Yeah, it's it, it just sets them up to now put 
pieces around their team. Like they don't have to go out and look for another player. Like, like they have their three guys, and now they can they can you know you know motivate and and kind of add to um, you know just role players. You know, Valanciunas is still a really good player. You know, they have players in place now where they're just looking for role players. And and you know, the rookie Herb Jones is a nice. You know, I wouldn't go out of my way to to get him on my team. But on a team like this, where you already have scoring and everything locked in uh, offensively, like he can, he can just be a nice energy guy, and that's what he's been all year. Um, and, and he's going to look even better when Zion comes back because now he's he's going up against the fifth player rather than you know the third or fourth uh, on, on any given night. So um, you know, a guy like Devonte Graham, who you know they swung and missed on 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 certain situations in the offseason, but Devonte Graham is a player who you know. Uh, Again, you talk about shooters. He can get hot from three, and you know when he plays with CJ and plays with uh, you know Brandon Ingram and plays with Zion, those three guys attract so much attention that he can get more open looks, um, you know, than he was getting when he you know really burst onto the scene in Charlotte. So um, it, it is, I think, a, a great trade for New Orleans, and they, I mean, they're they're building something there, and um, you know if they slip out of the playing tournament, now they have another opportunity to. Get some lottery balls, fall their way, and off they go. Right, so it's uh, it's it's interesting. Um, I, I I do think that that's one of those ones that went under the radar quietly. I'm with you, and another aspect of this, by the way, like CJ's played in some some pretty big playoff games, and like he's sure had has. some big moments too, hit some big shots. Um, and for a Pelicans team that is looking to take that next step, is looking to make the playoffs with a really young core in Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson, I, I think that kind of veteran leadership, we don't usually talk about it immediately in the aftermath of a trade because it's all about how they fit, what they can bring, all this kind of stuff. But like the off-court stuff, that court kind of leadership, I think will also make a difference. Because yeah, CJ, by all accounts, is a, is a great guy, like an ultimate professional. Um, I, I, that, that just helps. That's kind of like the cherry on the cake for them. And the one thing he does bring to the table that not many would, even the veterans, is the fact that he played in that, you know, in Portland where for a long time they were a good team and people still didn't care about them and they had that chip on their shoulder. He brings that chip on their shoulder to New Orleans where, you mm-hmm. know, it, it would be very easy for a young team to be like, ah, well, we don't get the national attention, so why should we try hard? We don't get the, you know, all these other things. Like, CJ is going to bring it every single night. Game 51 of 82, CJ's bringing it and he won't, yeah. he won't allow the rest of the team to take nights off so you're right I, I, good shout out on the veteran leadership all right let's uh let's motor through the last uh, little bit here because we uh we did spend a lot of time on on the trade deadline um but uh who are you most excited to see play in the new jerseys some of the new faces new places who are you most excited to see play I mean, we can we can do this really quickly because I I just think the Simmons Harden trade ultimately like I, I'm so excited to one see how Harden for next, fits next to Joel Embiid if he can sure. kind of help this team go to the next level if they can kind of figure out all their differences and be like reach their potential as a one-two punch and Simmons just seeing him back on the court first and foremost um, like we, we do we talk so much about what he can't do um, that it's I'm well aware like he has flaws in his game. He's also really fun to watch. Um, mm. A guy who gets up and down the court. He's such a good passer. So unique to have that division, that hand, uh, that vision and handle at six foot ten, whatever he is, and all the stuff that he does defensively. Like I- I'm excited to see him on the court again next to Kem Durant, Kyrie Irving, figuring out how he can play off of them. Um, so yeah, a little, maybe a little bit of a boring answer because we've already talked about them so much. But ultimately, I- I'm just most excited to see how they play. 
I'm going off the board here. I, I'm most excited because we've already seen Norm Powell and uh, Robert Covington play for the Clippers. I'm most excited to see them at full strength. Like I, mm-hmm. I can't wait to see what that Clippers team looks like uh, when when all bodies are available to them. Um, all right, that's enough on the trade deadline. Let's uh, let's let's move on a little bit here. There is an MVP race that's heating up, Scott. And as I said off the top, you are working on your MVP ladder for uh, NBA.com and the Sporting News. Um, and I, I, have you come to a, a, a you know a decision on where you're going or leaning it either way? If you if you had to decide today, February fifteenth at the time of recording this, um, who is your MVP? Can I? I mean, I've got to tease the article, right? I have Jokic and Embiid in the top two spots, but I guess you'll have to wait until until Thursday to see who's at number one. All right, that's um, fair. No, I mean, look, it's look. I'll say this: I think it's razor thin between them right now. Um, and if you want to read between the lines, you know, I'm a Jokic guy. I have a huge appreciation for what he's doing this season, and I, I think at this point. I think he's been better than Joel Embiid from start to finish because Embiid did get off to a bit of a slow start and then he missed, I think it was seven games um, due to COVID. And since then, he's been absolutely spectacular, arguably the best player in the league. But I think, you know, it's easy to get caught up in what's happened in the last week, two weeks. I think ultimately from start of season till now, I'd probably give Jokic the slight edge over him. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's them too. I think Giannis is a pretty clear third in the race right now. The Bucks haven't been quite as dominant as seasons past, but they're still one of the best teams in the East, arguably the best team um, in the East. And he's having another spectacular season, just a dominant force on both ends of the court. And you see it on nights like the Lakers, you know, last week where he goes first, I don't know, 40, it's a 44, 12 and, and six, and just looks like the best player on the court with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And then, you know, they lose to the Trailblazers, uh, pretty handedly on a, in a game that he doesn't play, and that kind of shows you how valuable he is to this team. But um, I, I think it's those three. And then really, I mean, it speaks to how much talent there is in the league right now because I feel like if you ask 10 different people, they're going to have different players at four and five. Um, there's DeMar DeRozan, who's just putting up 35-point games um, every single night at this point, and he's been one of the most clutch players in the league this season. Chris Paul and Devin Booker, I think both of them deserve like real consideration and it hurts both of their cases a little bit because they are both like MVP candidates, all NBA candidates. Sure. Um, but the Suns have been by far and away the best team in the league this season. They deserve consideration. And then like, what do you do about John Morant? You know what I mean? Like I, the Lakers haven't been good, but LeBron has been spectacular. Um, the Heat are the number one seed in the East. Like, do you have Jimmy Butler in that conversation? And then by the way, Luka Doncic has been absolutely spectacular lately um and is is got kind of playing at the level we thought he would going into the season so the mvp race i think is a two-man race right now um but there's i mean there's just so much talent right now it, it really is unbelievable kind of when you look at it through this lens because there's just so many different players you have to give um you know you have to take a look at yeah i agree i i do think it's a two you know person race right now i do think it's between Embiid and Jokic, I would have Joel Embiid ahead of Nikola Jokic right now, um, but that's just by hair. That's just today. That could re- I could wake up tomorrow and feel differently. It really changes on the on a nightly basis. Like you know, mm-hmm. if I if I watch Nikola Jokic go for you know twenty five ten and eight and uh, you know on 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 Wednesday night, I might have my you know you know picks flop there. Um, it, it is hard as a big man to lead the league in scoring. Like it doesn't, it doesn't happen yeah, often. You're right. Um, and the way that he plays, like I know Giannis has, you know, is is, bit, is flirted around the top, um, and he's can some consider him a big man. But Joel Embiid is a true 
big man in every sense of the word. He, you know, he, he is uh, a guy that, you know, enjoys playing in the post. And, you know, he, he, he really has been dominant this year. He really, really has on both ends of the floor. And mm-hmm. I, I think... I think that was the missing piece for me last year in the argument um, when it was because these two guys were going head to head last year. But I thought that, you know, Embiid had taken some he didn't take, you know, plays off defensively a ton. But there were games where you can see where he was motivated defensively because it was on national TV or, you know, he was going up against a matchup that he really wanted to prove a point. And then there was times where, you know, there was layups happening on that that shouldn't really happen in his area of the floor. This year, I think he's been really motivated, uh, you know, since returning, obviously, from COVID, but also um, since realizing that Ben Simmons really wasn't coming to the lineup. I think there was a part of him at the beginning of the season that was like, oh, holding out, hope that. and And it really affected how the team played because they had to answer a lot of questions no team this year has had to deal with more drama than the philadelphia 76ers to this point right like they had to deal with the most amount of drama dating back from when uh they lost game seven to the to the atlanta hawks and that weighs on you and, and you're trying to navigate how to be a leader and you're figuring things out uh you hope you're trying to say the, the right things in the medium and you're you're hoping that you know you know you can get your team back together and he had to a lot to weigh on him i i know deep down inside he probably believed that ben simmons wasn't coming back to the lineup but he also had to you know weigh the options of okay you know do do I you know do my thing and be true to myself in a, a Joel Embiid fashion and tell you how I really actually feel about the situation, or do I play the company line and make sure that you know his trade value stays up? And you know I know that Daryl Morey's working the phones. I know Elton Brand's working the phones, and and all those things he had to that that weighs on you. Um, that's not even you know going out uh, you know trying to compete on a nightly basis. That he had to figure out this season. I know that that doesn't you know show up on a stat sheet, and sometimes it, you know you really shouldn't bring that into the MVP discussion. But I think that you know you do have to weigh that in, and not to say that Jokic hasn't dealt with any adversity either. He has, um, you know, it's the two, the second and third best player on his team haven't played you know, in, in a yeah. long time, so I, he has had to deal with it. Uh, but I think dealing with an injury is different than dealing with a player that we've never seen a public holdout like this in any sport. You know, like this is this has never happened, right? Like in this in this fashion, where a dude just says, "I'm not coming back," <laughs> and, and and it just doesn't show up and you have to figure out whether you go along with him or not um so i I do think that uh you know i give the mb the slight edge there and also i think he has been showing up defensively he's 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 back to you know the dominant player that i think he can be on both ends of the floor and that's not a shot at Jokic's defense by the way like i know a lot of people are oh he doesn't play defense like that that myth is gone like forget about that he had he has had some incredible game-winning blocks he had a he had a a huge swat against the raptors the other night um, you know, point blank, and you know he, he does play defense. And in those, my argument between the two of you know who was better and who was worse, you know, Scott was I was always an Embiid guy because I said that Embiid, if you're taking your best player off the floor in the last two minutes of a game because he can't defend, then mm-hmm. I couldn't I couldn't rank him ahead of someone else. That's gone now. Like that, you know, Mike Malone plays Jokic in those minutes and you know and that's not because they don't have any bodies anymore to 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 suck that up but this was happening you know in playoff games you know but before uh, at the time when I said this, this is you know probably four or five years ago now, it, Mason Plumley was coming in for for MB or sorry for Jokic in those situations. That doesn't happen anymore. Like they don't they don't have uh, you know the, Jeremy Grant if they still had him on the team subbing for Jokic in those situations. So. All that to say, I, I do have him be right now slightly ahead. Still plenty of season to be played. 
and mm-hmm. Bede has to stay healthy. Let's see how they, you know, integrate Harden. Like, let's see if he stays as dominant or if he's a little bit passive, which I think he should just stay dominant and, and, and work things out. But I do think he's on his way to his first MVP trophy. It is uh, it, it is very close. I'm with you on that. I, I, I with like it just does seem like every single day this kind of changes um, flip flopping between number one and two for them. But uh, it was funny after that after Jokic got that game winning block against the Raptors in our Slack channel. I I seriously asked like, does he have the most game winning blocks over the last like two or three seasons? And I could be completely missing someone here, but he has at least three. I feel like at this point, um, and I can't remember anyone else really getting more than like two game winning blocks. Other than aside from like maybe Giannis, if we're including the playoffs, but uh, it is hilarious to think that like he's come up big more than one occasion at this point on the end of the court for a guy who in the past has been criticized so much for his defense. And yeah, he's always going to be somewhat limited defensively. Like he, he's never going to be switching one through five and, and keeping up with perimeter players off the dribble consistently. Um, but he's, I mean, a really smart player. We know that about the way that he plays offensively. But he also just uses his length really well defensively, like kind of protecting the rim, um, swiping up balls when they come, guys drive to the paint and everything like that. So you, you wrote a good article last year about how much he's grown defensively. And I think he just continues to get better on the end of the court. You know what makes me mad about the switching one through five thing? And I, I think, you know, we're all guilty of it. It's the mm-hmm. fact that there's only like, there's over 300 players in the NBA. There's probably only 20 of them that could actually do that at a high level, at a plus level, right? Like, Are we sure it's we, that many, by the way? Yeah, and, 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 I'm, and I'm not even sure that it's that many. Like, I, it's probably closer to 10 that can do it, um, you know, at a, at a high level. But we just always like, you know, oh, it, this guy can't guard guards. Of course, no big man in the in the history of the NBA has been able to guard guards. And if you have, you're in the Hall of Fame. Like, like what, what are we doing here? I mean, it's like Draymond and, and Bam, right? Like, those are the first two that come to mind immediately Giannis, right now. Even Giannis, give Giannis that. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely, Giannis. Um, but, I, I, mean, I mean, even then, he's not someone who's, like, fighting around screens to guard guys. You know right. what I mean? Like, he, he's but he, agile enough to, to defend guards, absolutely. But, no, I, I mean, I think that's a good conversation with Ben Simmons, too. Because a lot of people, I do feel like, say he can guard one through five. And, I mean, being able to guard one through four, there's not many players who can do that. And he does that probably better than just about anyone else. But he's not someone who's going to guard Joel Embiid on a post-up. You know what I mean? He's not going to guard Jokic on a post-up. So you're right. I'm totally with you on that. Yeah. All right. Um, What are you looking forward to uh, most coming up? All-Star Weekend in Cleveland. We are days away from it. It's the uh, celebration of the 75th year in the NBA, center of the season. Um, What are you looking forward to the most All-Star Weekend? You know, I, I've been loving the three-point contest the last few years. I feel like I was always so much more excited to see the dunk contest, and that's right. just changed over the last few years. Like, there's been so much excitement, and I feel like it, may, it probably started in Charlotte, actually, when we went to the All-Star game. Um, mm. That that three-point contest was super fun. So I, I think it's a good group this year. Um, you know, there's probably some NBA Canada bias there, potentially with Fred Van Vliet, who I think might be the favorite. I'll have an article about that coming out later this week. But um, I, I, I'm looking forward to the three-point contest. What about you? Uh, I I as well am looking forward to the three point contest. I have always looked forward to just All Star Saturday night more so than um, the game itself, and uh, you know the rookie the rookie game on on the Friday. Uh, three point contest for me though has really become the main event, and this is Scott. This is. This is something that Steph Curry does not get credit for. Like he, yes, he's changed the way that we view the NBA in, yeah. a, in a regular game. But the dude has also made the three-point contest the main event of All Star Saturday Night. Before this, like we were talking about the dunk contest, you know, months before it actually went down. And you know, obviously that's a you know credit to Michael Jordan and Dominique Wilkins and 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 the duels that they had. 
but I feel like now, you know, more people that I talk to are just excited to see guys shoot the ball. And I feel and I, I do think that that has you have to give credit to Steph a little bit because he, he's made it. Um, not only is it the one skill that I think people think that they can do, like the average guy thinks that he could go out there and, 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 and do the racks and, 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 you know, hit the, you know, the 30 ball. But it just it just has become you know the league is just is such a uh, shooting league like you 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 have multiple guys that can really light it up and if you look at this field um, you know Desmond Bay Luke Kennard Zach Levine you know C J McCollum Patty Mills Carl Towns Fred VanVleet and Trey Young like there's a mix of you know standstill shooters there's a mix of guys who could do it off the bounce there's a mix of guys who are considered scorers and then there's a big man like it, yeah it, it's it's you know I don't think you would ever have thought about this before you know prior to to Steph kind of you know changing the the, the, the league and the game and the game evolving uh you know the three-point contest just featured you know your standstill shooters like you knew who was going to be there year in year out and it was still fun but this just feels uh you know like the main event maybe they should switch it and put this last what do you think i based on the way that things have gone the last few years i i, I do yeah and, and maybe that is something where you know five ten years down the line that's actually what happens um because i do really think it kind of has been the draw to, to saturday night the last few years all right give me a winner fred van vliet all right my pick uh i I think Desmond Bain has it. He's just shooting the lights Good this pick. year, man. Like he, he really is. I, I think he, and he's probably the the. Uh, I don't want to say the best catch and shoot guy here, but he's the most natural catch and shoot guy here. Hey, statistically, I'll, he's not. Yeah, I'll but, just say that. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. I'll, I'll, I'll look up for your article. I was gonna say I have an article this week detailing. Uh, I looked at every single spot on the court. Who's shooting the best from there? Um, and then kind of detailing all that and, and picking a winner that way. So. I did. Sorry, I did spoil my pick a little bit there, but uh, it was still a fun process to kind of go through. But it, it's a good field this year. Like even really Luke Kennard really jumped off the page for me. Like I knew he was having a good year, but he's like the only guy in this group who's shooting forty percent or better from every single spot on the floor. Like he's he's just he just lights out. So he's just, kind of a sleeper pick. And just think about it: if they're able to hold on to him this off season, he'll have so much space to play with next year. With, I love that know, team. <laughs> Oh my goodness! I can't wait to see and yeah. Ty Lue at the helm. Like I really can't wait to see what they do uh, next year when they're at full strength. All right, for uh, that's it for us now. We we, we went overtime here, but uh, we will see you next week post All Star game. Um, plenty to talk about, I'm sure. Coming out All Star weekend, we'll be even that much closer to James Harden making his debut for the Philadelphia 76ers, and potentially, uh, if Ben Simmons does not play this week, we'll be that much closer to him making his regular season debut. <laughs> Just period um, for the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, so plenty to talk about. So much more. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have not already, please subscribe to the podcast. Just type in NBA Sound System wherever you get your podcast, and do us a favor. And review it does a ton of help for us for scott rafferty i am carlin gay enjoy the week and the all-star festivities we will see you next week right here on nba sound system